Once upon a time when we were coloured, Britain was the country Africa and the Caribbean followed. They felt they had a special relationship on account of those old school slave ships because the motherland's word was bond like seven, like Ocean's Eleven and that rude boys cannot fail cause them out of jail. That's what the Commonwealth was about when we used to scratch each other's backs. And after the war, Britain needed its former colonies without any apologies to help it build its economy and to purchase its commodities in Africa and the Caribbean rushed to its assistance. After all we had been through together, it seemed like the obvious way to make things better. After all our ups and downs, Her Majesty could still wear our crown. And everything sweet, like a reggae drum beat, everything cook and curry, was the general theory. It was like a marriage made in heaven that you have to give your blessing as long as there ain't none of that late night messing, if you know what I mean. That late night messing around they call indiscretion because a marriage is based on trust, not lust. I mean, don't get me wrong, lust is nice like sugar and spice, but no relationship can last on lust alone. It will end in tears for years and years for any couple or any nation. You have to build your love on a solid foundation. Never speak with a forked tongue and always be faithful. Infidelity is just a way of showing that you're ungrateful. The Commonwealth was so good for our health that Britain would be truly great if it hadn't turned its back on Commonwealth trade. Think of the love it got from Africa and the Caribbean when things were hot. They said, Britain, be true, and we'll give our world to you. We mean it, Britain. Oh, Britain, treat us right, and we'll love you day and night. We mean it, Britain. Oh, Britain, we'll give our world to you now, Britain. Because what men call love and the gods' adultery is far more common where the climate's sultry, said the poet Lord Byron. Given the circumstances, that's what you call iron, knee. Because it wasn't Africa and the Caribbean that sabotaged the marriage with some outside woman, it was Britain that joined the European Union in 1974 and turned its back on Africa and the Caribbean. And in this week when Britain was supposed to leave the Union, guess what? They want to renew the marriage vows. And before you start to raise your eyebrows, hear Britain out. Let's be friends. Let's fall in love all over again. This time I'm going to treat, treat, treat you right. I'm going to love you day and night. When you're down, I'll be around to guide you, baby. As soon as I'm free, you can call on me. I'll be there, baby. I'll give my world to you. I'll do what you want me to. Now, baby, I mean it. Now, baby, I mean it. Whether African or Caribbean, I'll never again turn your love away. I'm going to love you night and day. I mean it. I mean it. I mean it, baby. 
I'm going to love you night and day. I'm going to treat, treat, treat you right. Anyway, I asked the former cabinet minister, Andrew Mitchell, what Britain has done for Africa lately. He started by telling me about Project Umubano. Yes, the Conservative Party's Project Umubano. And what's that? Well, that was set up in Rwanda in 2006 and seven. Umubano means partnership and cooperation and working together. It's not about white men from Europe coming and telling people in Africa what they should do. That's not the concept at all. It's, it's to work in partnership in the area of health, in the area of law, which is incredibly important for development for reasons of good governance uh, and so forth, in the area of education, um, and also in the, in the area of the private sector partnership and developing private enterprise. And it has really got three effects. The first is that it does a tiny amount of good, and I, I wouldn't wish to overstate that, in a country that has been to Helen back since the genocide in 1994, killed nearly a million people in 90 days. Um, this is a country that has come back from appalling circumstances and appalling slaughter and is now firmly on the right track. So we hope that Project Mubano makes a very, very modest contribution in a country that tugs at our heartstrings. Many of us feel very guilty about what happened in the 90s there because the United Nations, the international community, effectively looked the other way and turned their back on the slaughter that took place. Secondly, uh, it has a life-changing impact on us, the people who go on Project Mubano. Um, and thirdly, and this is in a way is the most important thing, it means that within the Conservative Party in Britain there is a group, a cadre, a core of people who really understand international development because they've been to a very poor country and seen at the sharp end what does and doesn't work in development. Um, and they can bring that learning, that understanding back and contribute it to policy development in a leading British political party. And I think that is incredibly important. And it's for the third reason, as well as the other two, that we set it up. I know that you've held different positions in government. And somebody told me that the position that you enjoyed the most was the Secretary of State for International Development. By the way, it was your wife that told me that. Is that the case and why? It is the case. Um, well, first of all, I had a very long run in because I was the shadow secretary of state for international development. Um, so I held the portfolio in opposition for five years. And uh, then when the election came and the prime minister asked me to serve in his cabinet as the secretary of state for international development, I'd had five years to think about what we would want to do if we had the privilege of being in government and to publish a green paper of ideas from the Conservative Party and to try and move a bit on the way in which Britain made its contribution to international development to sustain the argument that any country ought to provide 0.7% of its income to help the least fortunate in the world. It was a combination of being absolutely fascinated and passionate about the subject, but it was also having the chance over quite a long period of time to go and sit at the feet of people who really knew about this all around the world and to learn and to understand the subject properly so that if we had the opportunity of being in government as we did, I would be able to ensure that the policy was well thought through. What does the British Secretary of State for International Development actually do? Well, they are responsible for the budget, uh, which is important too, because in America, for example, the budget that is spent on development is split between different departments and different people. In Britain, it rests with the Department for International Development. 
This was a new department set up by the last Labour government, but it brought all the development activity into a powerful department of state. And of course, it attracted very able people. So the, the British Development Secretary is responsible, I think, for accounting to the taxpayers in Britain for the way this money is spent, uh, but also for working out what the right way to spend it is, and to perhaps, as I try to do, encourage other countries which wanted to achieve the same things to look at what we were doing and perhaps join in with us. And we did that uh, every year, actually, when I was doing the job. The first year we did it in terms of crowding in other countries and donors and charities to support vaccinations. And then in 2012, uh, we did it on family planning, which was politically very fraught and difficult. But it was something where we could encourage others to make their contribution in these two areas, which are absolutely fundamental to international development. Um, so it's, it's not just about the, 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 the British uh, facing uh, way of doing this. It's also about trying to attract others to zero in on the same things that can make a real difference. And after all, now is a time when our generations are able to do so much more than ever before to affect these extraordinary discrepancies of opportunity and wealth which exist in our world today, which are extremely destabilizing, made worse by climate change. And so getting it right, making sure you intervene in the way that is most effective at helping uh, heal some of these extraordinary discrepancies I mentioned and, and extensive poverty in the world, is incredibly important. As you will know, international development is quite a controversial issue in Britain, not least because Britain's gone through a period of austerity now, and even though it's only 0.7% of the entire income of the country, nevertheless, people are questioning whether Britain should be funding other countries, albeit countries that might need that help. Well, that is true. and. There is a debate in Britain about it. It is made worse by the fact that we have been through a period of great austerity in Britain. Things are getting a lot better now. The economy is healing. But at the point where we were mounting these arguments, we were, of course, on a rescue mission as a government in terms of the British economy. Uh, so you are right. And that means that you have to make the argument and you had to reorganize uh, some of the way in which international development was carried out. Uh, in the past in Britain, there's been a big polarization. Uh, on the left, people believe it's just about a few more billion dollars to eradicate uh, the extremes of poverty. On the right, there's a sort of skepticism that money that is spent on international development doesn't go to the right place and has a tendency to end up in the Swiss bank accounts of corrupt leaders. Um, what we tried to say was, look, there is common ground where everyone can stand on development, that we ought to help those less fortunate than ourselves. It's very much, I would argue, part of the British character, British DNA, to do that. And that there are things which you can do in development which help uh, tackle conflict and instability, because conflict is development in reverse. And also things which you can do to try and build markets and economic uh, development, enterprise, the use of the private sector, freeing up the trading system. These are the ways in which poor people lift themselves out of poverty. And so uh, this is common ground. And it's also in Britain's interest. It's not just aid from uh, Britain, it's aid for Britain. Because if, if we address instability, for example, in Somalia, 
then we are making ourselves safer. There were more British passport holders training in terrorist camps in Somalia than in any other country in the world, including in Iraq and Afghanistan. So, so you know, helping the poor people in Somalia who live in great fear and instability in one of the most disorganized countries in the world is in our interest as well. And so it is in, in, with, with building up markets and building up enterprise and development because these countries will trade with us to their enrichment and our enrichment. So these are arguments of self-interest and national interest as well as it's being the right thing to do. So I think it, it's possible to overplay the skepticism. What tends to happen is if there is a corruption scandal or if there is a difficulty identified, then the public leap on it. And there's a huge uh, swathe of opinion which will be very hostile. And yet when you have something like comic relief in Britain, uh, you will see that as the economy tightened down the years, people became more generous in comic relief. So, you know, it, it's, a, it's a subject of debate, I think, in the, in, the, in the pubs and restaurants in Britain. It moves in quite a polarised way. But the, the, the central policy of the government in, in, in making development an important plank of what we do internationally, I think is absolutely right. And, and actually, you know, for, for me, I am incredibly proud of having been... Uh, in a government that did not try and balance the books on the backs of the poorest people in the world when our economy was in trouble, but actually stood firm by those people, as Britain always has done in the past. Nobody questions the generosity of the great British public, as you can see with charities like Comic Relief. However, it's not just sceptics in Britain that question when there are corruption scandals, questions where this money is going to. There are sceptics in Africa, that, amongst those very same poor people that you're trying to help, who say, well, a lot of the money is being siphoned off and ending up in Swiss bank accounts and uh, enriching despots, for want of a better word. What do you say to that? And how do you tackle that? Well, the, the, the hearing the voices of the people who are trying to help from the richer world is incredibly important. And I absolutely agree with you that, that, that corruption scandals don't only anger and infuriate the, taxpayer whose the taxpayers whose money is being stolen. It also deeply upsets and angers and infuriates the people who are hoping to benefit from it. So I, I'm absolutely with you on that. It, it really underlines that none of the development efforts hang together unless you go after good governance, unless you tackle corruption. It's what the British Prime Minister refers to as the golden thread of development, that none of these programmes that we support, these efforts that we make, will work if there isn't accountability and proper uh, governance. And, uh, and of course it's true, and it's one of the reasons why Britain's development programme does try and make sure that systems of accountability, so that people can hold those who lead them uh, to account is incredibly important. I remember a minister in Uganda telling me that politicians and ministers uh, don't go straight because they see the light. They go straight because they feel the heat. And you know, accountability mechanisms so that people know that if they do wrong, they will be exposed are incredibly important. And uh, you know, we've worked, tried hard to work on this in in countries in Africa many of which welcome it, working, for example, in Nigeria with uh, Minister Ngozi, who I had the pleasure of working with when she was the deputy head of the World Bank in Washington, to try and make sure, for example, that the oil revenues in Nigeria 
are accounted for and used for the public good in a way that everyone can see. It's no secret that corruption has been a big endemic problem in Nigeria in the past. And there are leaders in Nigeria who are trying very hard to address that issue and make sure that the money, public money, is accounted for in a way that everyone can follow and can see. And that it's also used effectively and well. And, you know, I, we, I understand the difficulties uh, in Nigeria, difficulties that exist between the north and the south, the uh, uh, hard work and effort that is being made to address uh, these, these points. Britain is a long-standing friend of Nigeria. Uh, we are both uh, leading members of the Commonwealth and we want to be by your side as you make these difficult reforms and as you change an economy and a society bedeviled by corruption uh, in the past and move forward. And I think it's a noble and decent thing to do and I think it justifies the spending of British hard-earned taxpayers' money in supporting the reformers and making these changes so long as we can clearly see that they are generating the results that our taxpayers and uh, Nigerians demand. What does the country need to do to get to where it should be? Where, what does it need to do to be the, the leading light of Africa in terms of politics, in terms of population and in terms of governance? Well, it's not, it's not, it's not for me really to, to answer that, but uh, I think it's clearly uh, right to pursue these reforms that, that very able reformers are doing. Um, the, the, what they're trying to do will transform Nigerian society over a period of time. The tackling of the, of, of the differences between the North and the South, the anxiety that is, is, is right and clear about terrorism, terrorism must be defeated in the North. Um, these, are, these are matters which will uh, affect the way in which Nigeria develops over the, the next few years. But Britain, as a long-standing close friend and ally of Nigeria, wants to support those reforms, which I believe will transform Nigeria. I understand that you're saying that, and that's a diplomatic answer in a way, but surely in the vision of international development, there is a sense of what countries need to change, what Nigeria needs to bridge that gap between the super wealthy of Nigeria and the vast majority of people who are very poor as a result. That must come into your reasoning yes. in international development as well. I can do that in two words, good governance. Good governance, it's, it's anti-corruption, good governance, transparency and openness. Those are the things which, which really matter. And I mean, in Britain, in order to demonstrate to our sceptical taxpayers uh, we have, that well, money is well spent, we have set up a, uh, an independent commission on aid impact and that is because when I was Secretary of State, I knew perfectly well that the public weren't going to believe the word of a here today, gone tomorrow politician and minister who could sweep inconvenient truths under the carpet. We needed external um, uh, and independent supervision so that the public could have confidence in what they were saying, these experts who would account to the taxpayers for the way their money was spent, rather than, than for ministers to do it. Sounds like you have a lot of fondness for that department still. If you had your chance, would you return to the Department of International Development? Well, I think that uh, it was a huge privilege and an honour to lead the department for the two and a half years when I did. We made a lot of changes. We came in with 120 specific planned ideas and by the time I left we were into the 110s, you know, so we, we, I made my contribution. I think in life it's quite hard to go back, but was it the, the political job of my career? Undoubtedly. 
Andrew Mitchell, thanks very much. Thank you. Baby